You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I'm Rick Enlow. I'm here with Dave Hillis. And today we're going to talk about theology of place. Now, I've, I've heard you talk about that, but uh, refresh my memory a little bit. Give me some backstory here. I will, Rick, and, and it's, uh, it's fresh in my mind because uh, just recently I was um, down in the Bay Area and uh, at a church, and we were talking about Leadership Foundations. And as I made the comment about a theology of place, uh, there were a couple people afterwards that um, almost immediately said, we've never heard that phrase. And the truth is, it, it scares us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we begin to have a conversation um, about it, and maybe I can just you know report yeah, a bit of that yeah. right here. Uh, the The idea of a theology of place um, actually comes from, um, well, probably a lot of different places, but a particular um, Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, William Temple, many years ago, uh, said this fascinating thing. He says that God, uh, the the Christianity is the most material of religions. Because the very first picture we get of God in the scripture is actually kneeling down in the mud and blowing God's breath into it. Mm-hmm. And he says, because of that picture, Christians, people of faith, can be um, and should be interested not only in souls, but sewers. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always been grabbed by that. Um, I, I think that... Uh, the gospel as as leadership foundations understand it um that it, it pays attention to you know those things that we classically have always talked about in terms of salvation and your soul and mm-hmm. your morals and uh, you know your values um but that it also will turn around and be concerned about whether or not the sidewalk has adequate lighting at night whether or not zoning is taking place in a just and equitable way uh, in the inner city, Mm -hmm. Um, whether or not the environment um, is being treated kindly. So that's when Leadership Foundations say a theology of place, um, that is what we're declaring, is that that we and our work don't only care about um, the people who live there, uh, but the place those people live in because we realize that that impacts the quality of their life. Yeah, and in fact, uh, that kind of reminds me, like in our last podcast, you mentioned that something was, um, it almost was leaning toward being Gnostic. And I thought, that's interesting, and I should look that up. And uh, and so really, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of what you're saying, because that, uh, you know, kind of uh, briefly, the, the whole Gnostic thinking was the idea that there was a material and an immaterial, you know, part of life, and that we only had to pay attention to the, you know, spiritual stuff. That's right. Therefore, you know, y- including my body and, you know, and my surroundings, that you know, those are just temporary, so like, who cares? And I think what uh, the theology of place does is it, you know, it vehemently disagrees with that and and you know coincidentally half of the new testament disagrees with Gnosticism or you know was written yeah. or occasioned because of it so yeah. yeah so i mean i think that's really important yeah yeah in fact Gnosticism has been you know in some ways the 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 great enemy of christianity precisely because um christianity does uh when i think it's read rightly um become a deeply material thing mm-hmm. and gnosticism looks into that material and sees all kinds of horrors which you know we we have to agree right are there yeah and says better to just 
you know, create a spirituality uh, uncoupled from that, divorced from that. Um, so the, the ultimately, you know, the argument against that, which, you know, goes back to the, the New Testament self and the person of Jesus, is the incarnation. And if one is an incarnational person um, and a, a belief in the incarnation, and, and by incarnation, of course, we mean the divine act of Jesus being fully human uh, and fully divine, mm -hmm. then that in turn shapes how you move out into this world. And, and the leadership foundations, the way we describe that, that incarnational sacramental approach is to have a theology of place. Right. And, and one of the real effective things, uh, Rick, of leadership foundations throughout the world is that our local presidents um, who run these leadership foundations, their staff, um, do the most remarkable of things, and that is, is they actually like their city. <laughs> um, and, you know, I oftentimes laugh. People say, well, how is it the leadership foundations are so effective, and how have they been able to... I said, well, it, it really gets down to they like their city. Uh, they actually want to live there. They enjoy the grocery store, the film... Uh, studio down the street is something that's important to them mm -hmm. and as a result of that kind of affection you know for the actual physical place as well as the people um, you know you're you're more effective you know yeah I, in some ways then the fact that the theology of place scared the people you know in the Bay Area um, you know hopefully you know you know you could see why it would in some ways frighten somebody because it means you can't cocoon you know and just uh, live in a little silo and you know, just try to hunker down, you know, yeah. but you have to actually live, you know, yeah. and, and that's frightening to some people. It is. And, and I, in talking with these people, it, it was, it was a, a sweet conversation because I get it. Um, I, you know, there's times I've lived in Tacoma 30 plus years and uh, there are parts of it, you know, that are hard to put your arms around. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to go, oh yes, there, you know, is the, uh, the presence of God. Um, but that's what theology of place pushes us to do is to say um, there is nothing um, as a result of who God is and what God's spirit has done uh, that is profane. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all is holy. And, and now it's our job to walk into that um, and uh, discover that, name that, um, you know, uh, align ourselves with that. And, uh, and that's, that's where the genius is. Well, I think what's so amazing about Leadership Foundations is that this is not, we're not talking about one city, but mm -hmm. I guess presently 74 cities. Exactly. And uh, to, to have the opportunity to have conversations with those who are leading and uh, who are living out the theology of place uh, in cities, uh, we've heard of some of these cities like Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, like these are, these are some, some uh, serious uh, cities, and, and uh, so... That's the advantage we have in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I just uh, having had the chance now to you know to help lead the leadership foundations here for the last uh, you know six years. Um, one of the great joys, in fact, it might be the the ultimate joy of my job, is to go into a city and see that city through the eyes of that leadership foundation. Um, there's just nothing quite like it. Um, I, I still remember um, getting to Delhi. Um, and uh, having the chance uh, over the course of a couple weeks um, to see Delhi through the eyes of Angie and Abhishek Gear. Um, and for them, it's a playground. Mm 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, hard, um, sharp, you know, I'm mean, going back to the Chesterton idea. It's full of fierce uh, poetry, but it's their city uh, mm-hmm. and they love it. Or to go into a place like, uh, you know, Pretoria and see it as you have, Rick, uh, yeah. through the eyes of Stefan de Beer or in Los Angeles with Bradfield House. And, uh, and one of the things I'm, you know, quite excited about is that uh, we're going to talk to one of our local leadership foundations about this theology of place. Um, and his name is Will McCall, who is the president of the Dallas Leadership Foundation. And I've had, I've had the privilege to, uh, to be in Dallas and see Dallas through Will's eyes. And he sees Dallas as a playground um, and uh, as, a, as a place that uh, God is in love with and, and enjoys. And, and so it's that theology of place that has kept him and the Dallas Leadership Foundation at it now for many, many years. Well, uh, let's let's go to that call, and uh, and we'll listen to that conversation you have with Will, and then uh, and then we'll uh, have a chance to respond to that. Wonderful. Well, Will, thank you um, so much for being a part of uh, this podcast that we uh, have with the Leadership Foundation. It's called Sidious Playground. Um, I think, as you know, Will, in your position as president of the Dallas Leadership Foundation, that the Leadership Foundations. Um, are in 74 cities throughout the world. Um, And one of the things um, about our local leadership foundations and the leadership foundation movement is here a few months ago, we had the great privilege of writing a book about our history um, that began in 1962 in Pittsburgh through Sam Shoemaker and Reed Carpenter. And uh, now, as I said, is in 74 cities throughout the world. Um, The name of the book, of course, is Cities, Playgrounds or Battlegrounds, um, Leadership Foundation's 50-Year Journey of Spiritual and Social Renewal. Um, So one of the things that we have been doing is talking to local Leadership Foundation presidents like yourself, Will, um, about what does it mean uh, to see your city as a playground versus a battleground, and what are the ramifications of that? Um, Specifically this morning, Will, what we're very interested in doing is talking to you about a particular aspect that has been important to leadership foundations, and it's what we call a theology of place. Um, The general idea of a theology of place is that uh, leadership foundations believe um, that committing yourself not only to people, but to physical place over the long term uh, really becomes a game changer with regard to making cities better. So, well, my initial question to you as the president of the Dallas Leadership Foundation is how do you um, hear um, about seeing your city as a playground and how it relates to having a theology of place in your organization and how does that work itself out in Dallas? Well, first of all, Dave, I want to just uh, thank you for your great leadership, and I appreciate you inviting me on this into this conversation. Um, oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the theology of place for us in Dallas uh, shows up in a few different ways. First, in our connection to neighborhood communities, and um, you know, to truly stay in a location, you have to be uh, committed, and a committed Christian really shows up in three ways. It's, it's, I think it's kind of 
three things that seems to happen, and and I guess I have to go. Uh, all I have is Ephesians, Ephesians two. You know, Paul talks about salvation. Mm-hmm. So if, once you understand your salvation, then the Lord starts sanctifying you. If you look at uh, Ephesians two eight through ten. And as he takes us through the sanctification process, he gives us work to do. And that helps us become more mature and have the ability to stay in one place and make a difference over the long haul Hmm. for God to permeate and to be seen, his love to permeate and to infiltrate a place. So no matter the people or the change in the location, you're there and God's presence is there. And so I would say, and say uh, our, uh, uh, we have a, a neighborhood in Oak Cliff that when I started this work uh, 14 or so years ago, it was heavily African-American. Well, that neighborhood has gone from about 70% African-American to about 75% Hispanic. Uh, interesting, now, yeah. Yeah, but if we weren't committed to place and we didn't have the maturity to understand that God saved us and he's called us to be his instrument of salvation to the people of that place, and then he, he pushes us and he sanctifies us and he takes us through a fire and through the misunderstanding of culture, the change, the discomfort of dealing with people that you're not used to dealing with, the change in the environment around the city and the change in government, the change in um, uh, city council persons and police. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you have to just go through the struggle to stay in that one place and serve because the call is not to do what's comfortable, enjoyable, and um, uh, familiar, the call is to fulfill what God has, you know, instructed and uh, enabled us to do at whatever period of time. So I think theology of place takes some maturity, but it's extremely rewarding because it's not dependent on our power, it's depending on God working uh, on our behalf and through us. That's great. Well, so let me have a follow-up question with you. What do you find to be the most significant obstacles uh, in living out um, a theology of place? And I'm thinking here, Will, about, you know, the training of your staff, um, getting other people to commit to a neighborhood that does change. What what are some of those obstacles that you're wrestling through? I think it's discomfort. Um, You know, it's, it's in, there's an enjoyable, attractive, part to places that God calls you at times early on, and then things change. And so how Mm -hmm. does leadership, Christian leadership, stay the same and continue to serve at the same level and continue to submit and sacrifice for a new people in the same way they sacrifice for a familiar people? And um, holding staff accountable, holding oneself accountable and connecting it back to who we are in Christ, and looking at Christ's uh, sacrifice is what helps us get, sta- you know, get stabilized and refocused and back on course. It's not always easy, and from, you know, from my position or from my director's position or from the staff or from the neighborhood leaders that we are working with, just in, in at least in neighborhoods, that's our struggle. Yep, absolutely. Um, 
with regard to this issue of discomfort, what have been some of the tools, uh, the trainings that you have learned through the years to keep a person or an initiative or a program um, in place over the long term? Probably, again, go back to first it's, it's, it's connecting and applying the word and find, finding ways to make it applicable to current situations. Secondly, it's learning to uh, put people who are different than you in places of authority and follow their leadership. Uh, thirdly, it is staying through uh, whatever kind of conflict that may occur, embracing it, sitting with it, and persevering, looking to grow through it and becoming a better servant through it all. Mm-hmm. That's very good. You know, when you, when you broaden um, that idea, Will, of uh, the, the neighborhood you mentioned, and then you begin to think about a theology of place for the entire city of Dallas, um, what have also been some of the things that you've learned um, with regard to staying committed over the long term? Um, well, you know, there's, there's all kind of dynamics uh, that one deals with in, in, I guess, any city, but in Dallas, you know, the political dynamic is real and strong. The economic dynamic is real. Uh, so, you know, when you have, uh, say, a presidential administration change as a field, mm-hmm. in particular, Dallas, it was pretty strong since, you know, the, one of the sons or adopted sons of Dallas was in the White House, and he left in a, you know, not, you know, with with the low low approval ratings. And so uh, when he left, there was a group that was cheering and pretty vocal and vociferous in their disapproval, and there was a group that was trying to defend him at all costs, and which made them more vocal about, the current administration, and so one, you have that dynamic, and you mm-hmm. have you have anger between groups, anger between donors, anger between community members, anger between uh, nonprofits, and the lack of communication. So there's a, a, a whole lot of work in uh, one controlling your own on whatever side you're on, and then two, finding bridges. To bring people together, and three, holding true to who you are, so you don't give up your core beliefs, but we all submit who we are to, you know, our desires to our call and to what Christ has called us to do in the city. So, you know, I think it's it's the political, and then of course the economic and the struggles that occurred over the last seven or eight years. I watched actually, I watched in 2001 after. 9/11, and then in a greater way in 2008. Now, stop giving, and how uh, economics change, and how do we serve? And do we decide to say, on another note, stop working in the prisons as much because nobody would be giving would give to right. prison. So, how do you trust the Lord to stay in that place? Because again, we are called to be His redeeming instruments in that place. And if we only are there when the funds are right then how real is the redemption of Christ? Mm. You know, uh, another question that fascinates me, Will, with some of the things that you're saying is that 
and I, and I love the way you describe uh, staying put um, over the long haul, regardless of the political climate, the funding climate, uh, even the people themselves uh, taking on you know different shapes and sizes and colors. Um, one of the questions that seems to me then that surfaces is um, with different people, different people groups, in order to be really committed to a theology of place, it's almost as though you need to be multilingual. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, maybe it happens to be this group the first 10 years um, and you speak a certain language, but in the next 10 years it becomes another people group and you have to speak a different kind of language. Uh, say it's the Democrats in power at one time, you speak a certain language, but it's the Republicans uh, the next, um, you know, season. How, if, if so, one, I guess, is that true? And then two, how do you become multilingual with all of those different groups? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think holding to who you are mm -hmm. is important. So your core beliefs can adjust if you, you know, learn something new and you, you, you need to change them. But uh, generally speaking, your core beliefs should be what they are. And so you don't change who you are based on uh, whatever administration is in place, say, you know, Democratic or Republican, and locally different mayors and different city council persons and Community, uh, uh, county commissioners have impact, but what people understand and uh, I think are attracted to, despite the administrations and despite the leadership, what transcends that is having um, an understanding of what your call is and fulfilling it with integrity and not fearing uh, the different perspectives. So if a perspective is different than yours, uh, one, I think we are called to deal with that different perspective and love. Two, we are called, uh, say, by James to listen twice as much as we speak, so we need to listen carefully and consider what we hear. And then uh, I guess the third thing is just to pers persevere through whatever that the adversities that come up through the change in power structure to stay true to what God has called us to. This is Rick Enlow. I pastor a local church uh, in the Seattle area, and I had a question for you. Um, you, you talked earlier about, you know, uh, during political and economic change, and, and especially like, you know, the fears of donors and community members and other nonprofits, but you talked about building bridges, which I love that picture. Uh, what are some of the bridges that you built or that you, uh, you know, that you have heard about being built, you know, to uh, local churches and and or between uh, local organizations, some of the things you've done. Yeah, I, what I, what we've found is that if we put people to work according to what our call is and our passions are, uh, you know, in the different ministries, we could cross cultural boundaries, political, economic boundaries. So, you know, when we we go into prisons, we have United Methodist with Bible Church with Baptist with Presbyterian, with Episcopalian. I mean, it's all different uh, denominational viewpoints, Roman Catholic. Um, 
and then uh, different economic viewpoints, at least uh, denominations around the Protestant and Roman Catholic world. Um, and, and then you get them to do work, and we focus on if we all agree with what's the basic thing that we agree, agree upon. So if we say we agree on Christ and him crucified, we're not worried about if women should preach or shouldn't preach. We're not worried about if we should be sprinkled, uh, dunked, or, you know, mm-hmm. poured on. We, we don't worry about those different things. We worry about serving the poor. We worry about serving those that are in distress. We worry about the widows. We worry about the, uh, the orphans. We worry about that and not so much about our particular uh, uh, doctrinal uh, viewpoints. Wow, I love that. Yeah, so that, I think that's really helpful because sometimes I think um, people think you can maybe bridge a difference based on like an argument, you know, or I mean, like winning an argument. But what I love about what you're saying is just it's when we roll up our sleeves and we and we uh, we do the work. That's when we find out, uh, you know, that we're called. Uh. Um, well, we've got you know maybe another five minutes here. So um, another question going back to Rick's question to you um, about how you build bridges um, and I think that absolutely is so key to leadership foundation work in fact one of the things that we uh, write about in the book um, and we even uh, write up Dallas as a demonstration of this is that when you see the city as a playground rather than a battleground um, it changes um, for example, how you see God. Uh, God becomes uh, a friend of the city rather than a foe. And oftentimes you um, listen to people talk about God uh, in relationship to the city, and you very much get the feeling that uh, God would prefer you know, sheep and shepherds and meadows over and against the, the heavy traffic of a city. But if it's a playground, then God obviously is quite friendly. The other was um, our neighbor. And that as a city um, is seen as a playground, uh, one's neighbor becomes a colleague rather than a competitor. And I thought um, the way you described um, all of these different groups, different churches that you're working with, um, that really demonstrates, uh, to me at least, seeing others, uh, even if you have different beliefs at some level, um, as colleagues rather than competitors. Maybe say a bit more about what are you learning um, about whether it's Roman Catholic or African-American Pentecostal or even the person down the street who might not share a faith perspective but just simply wants to see Dallas become a better place. Uh, What are you learning about them being colleagues rather than competitors? You know, I'm learning that we all have the desire to connect once we get rid of the the shell and the walls that have been put up through our experience in our environment, that there is a there's a a pleasant surprise, a happy accident mm-hmm. that when you bring these different and varying various viewpoints together and different perspectives and life experiences and 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 they get something done together. Whether they're making a neighborhood look better, whether they're encouraging a brother or sister in prison, whether they're serving youth in a boxing gym or at a school, 
uh, what happens is there's this excitement that we got it done together and we're furthering God's kingdom. And so even my most staunch, uh, uh, let's say, Christocentric, African-conscious, Black Baptist church connected with my most conservative, Anglo, upper-income uh, Presbyterian friends. Bring them together, get something done together. They start saying, wait a minute, we still want our kids to you know, know Christ. We want them to have a good education. We want our families to be in safe places. We want to uh, make a difference in the world. We want to take vacations. We want to work. We have the same desires, and they start seeing how God has made us all very similar in so many ways, and how Satan's work is to divide, confuse, uh, trip us up so that we miss seeing Jesus as we're looking at the problems that he puts up as smoke and mirror instead of fulfilling what we're called to do if we keep our eyes focused on Christ. That's a wonderful description, Will, and and I'm even thinking, and maybe we can uh, begin to uh, close our discussion with this this final question. Um, It's as though you have, at the Dallas Leadership Foundation, um, taken on, for example, a particular task, whether it's, you know, kids needing to be mentored or health care or um, housing but that that actually becomes, and I don't want to say it quite this way, but it almost becomes maybe an excuse or a reason to get people connected that would not otherwise be connected. And that ultimately, maybe the real miracle isn't the boxing gym that the Dallas Leadership Foundation has been able to create and bring hope to kids, but also the people that have gotten connected through that initiative uh, and as a result they've built relationships and I'm thinking here Will of you know Shakespeare's um, old line that you know what else is a city but its people and that ultimately then uh, a city becomes as good or as bad as people build meaningful relationships uh, with each other is that at least what I'm hearing from you, a, a description of what you've seen all these years in Dallas, that yes, you do programs, but ultimately you're always keeping your eye on is the relational water level of the city rising? That's exactly it. I, I wouldn't have said it that well, but uh, it is all about relationship. Uh, you know, it's, it's not uh, you know, terribly complicated and you know we have a secret sauce that is the worst secret in the world and that and we see how Christ related to the disciples and to us and to all those that were around him and he walked alongside of them loved them held them accountable gave them grace served them and uh, was a friend and 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 worked alongside of them and I think that's all we're trying to do and it's all done in a loving relationship and when that happens, uh, people see what a city could and should look like when Christ's love permeates it. Well, Will, that is a, a beautiful, uh, and I would even go so far as to say poetic, benediction. Um, so thank you, uh, Will McCall, for being the Dallas Leadership Foundation president, um, serving that city 
um, so faithfully in the way that you have all these years, um, I think demonstrating for us, both by way of our conversation today, but maybe even more importantly, um, how you've done it in real time um, over the last couple decades, a theology of place, which we really do believe uh, is one of the real ramifications of what it means to see a city as a playground. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Dave. That's the first time I've ever had a chance to even hear Will, and it makes me glad that I live on this planet. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's just it's amazing, uh, his heart for uh, that particular part of the world down in Dallas. Yeah. Um, this would be true about all the presidents, but one of the quotes I put in the book, um, it's Cervantes' favorite quote where he says, tell me who your company is and I will tell you who you are, mm. um, which gets back to a bit yeah. of Gerard that we've talked about. But um, I think that's true. And I, uh, when I think about a Will McCall um, as a part of my company, it, it brings me great joy to think that I might be more like that as a result of hanging out with him. Well, now, not that everybody has listened to every podcast, except for you and I have, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I saw this. I mean, I'm subscribing, are you? <laughs> yeah, I am. But I saw this overlap just a bit, and I want to comment on this, because when uh, Dr. Ray Bakke was mentioning, uh, he, he mentioned that he was disappointed, okay, in, uh, you know, Christianity in general in this in this one arena that when um, churches were downtown and urban in the, the center of the city as um, people started to migrate you know to the suburbs so did the churches and you know and they just sort of like evacuated mm -hmm. and it seemed to me as I listened to Will that the theology of place uh, you know pushes back on that kind of thinking. It does push back on that, that kind of thinking. Um, and I think, um, again, for a lot of leadership foundations, um, and even going back to Ray's comment, Rick, it wasn't just that people were leaving the city. Um, it's that in Ray's phrase, he said, the, you know, the cities were on fire. Oh, yeah, right. Right, and so there was a kind of danger, um, a kind of unsettledness that, you know, people were looking at, you know, their former homes and saying this this is not a safe place to live and I think Ray memorably said you know and and the people who were fleeing were doing so with the Bible under their hand all the while quoting you know greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world <laughs> right and what was wrong with that picture sure and so a theology of place steps into that and says um, you need to stay put um, for a whole host of reasons, uh, ranging from, you know, did God actually, you know, call you to this place? And, and if so, um, God, you know, wouldn't want to be changing God's mind all the time. But also on a very practical level, you know, as you get to know your neighbors, um, as you get to know the businesses, as you develop what leadership foundations call social capital, um, that actually becomes then uh, the stuff that allows um, you know you to work together to make decisions together to say hey how about if we do this um, for the sake of the city and all of that comes out of we just keep seeing each other all the time right, um, right. so that's that's very important yeah in fact I saw this um, sort of play out in in real life with a, <clears throat> a friend of mine who when uh, his son got out of uh, graduate school to be a teacher um, he was offered uh, this opportunity to work in an inner city school 
and if he stayed there for five five years, like, I think something like that, then uh, a significant amount of his uh, his graduate school tuition would be paid for, mm-hmm. right? Would be forgiven. Yeah. And so you know he thought, well, you know that, that would that would help. So he went and and is working in a an inner city school. And, uh, you know, like his second day, you know, he's had so many, he's had more lockdowns than, you know, most schools have curriculum nights and stuff. <laughs> and after the five year, uh, um, Mark, he indeed received this, uh, you know, reimbursement for, for his student loan and, and everything was great. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then of course, uh, we were in conversation saying, well, then now where are you going to go now? And he said, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, these are my people man like this is my school and he had had something that happened to him where it wasn't about uh you know the original uh uh sort of proposition yeah and he had had uh an experience to where he realized that a lot of the uh stereotypical information was not even close to accurate and and he'd, he'd fall in love with the place yeah yeah and you know it's it's been interesting there have been um and not as much as the the there should be, uh, but there have been different police chiefs, mayors, others who have looked, for example, at the workforce of the city that oftentimes, interestingly enough, work in the city and then five o'clock comes and they drive back out to the suburbs and increasingly saying, if you're going to be an employee of the city, um, here's a novel thought. We actually want you to have the zip code of this city. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's something that begins to take place, you know, when I'm actually living in that neighborhood and what happens in that neighborhood um, affects me. Uh, John F. Kennedy many years ago used a phrase that I think gets a little bit to the utilitarian value of this. He said that we should all operate from what he calls enlightened self-interest and that there's something about... um, you know, I just would like my yard to be clean. I would like my street to be safe. That is my own self-interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the task is now to say, now how does that become enlightened? So it's not just self-interest, you know, I want mine and you can't have yours, but that my self-interest um, becomes enlightened so it helps my neighbor. Um, it helps my school down the street. Mm-hmm. And so I think taking on something like a a theology of place um, can at times sound overly noble. I mean, it it is a noble vision, um, and and we want to hold on to that. But there's also just some very practical issues about how do places get better. It's when we actually have, you know, investment, you know, in that turf. Um, You know, I've lived in Tacoma uh, 30 years, um, plus years, that, that number is growing uh, more <laughs> all the time. But I have, I have a keen interest uh, in how, um, you know, um, industry does in Tacoma because, um, you know, this being a place that businesses thrive will affect my boys and now my grandkids right. um, as a place to live. Um, I have a keen interest in whether or not the schools educate uh, because, of course, my children... Um, I want to have educated. And, and that's what a theology of place does. It, it begins to produce that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it uh, was so uh, beautifully articula- articulated by Will. Mm-hmm. Notice I just misarticulated the word articulated. <laughs> that was kind of fun. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he really uh, he, he, he helped us understand um, uh, what a gift to Dallas the Leadership Foundation is. 
Yeah, I mean, he, you know, in many places, you know, you just, you found yourself just saying, well, just keep talking mm-hmm. and, and we'll take notes. But I thought he was particularly uh, insightful, um, poignant, even poetic, when he talked about the practicality of a theology of place, that it anchors you so mm-hmm. that when the community changes, and he talked about how that initial neighborhood he went into was African-American, um, and a number of years later, it became Latino. Um, that that the work they did didn't leave. It, right. You know, the neighborhood now just simply is Latino. Or when all of a sudden that block grant that came in during a you know particularly um, profitable time for Dallas went away. You know, their work didn't go away. They stayed put, even though there wasn't as much money. Mm-hmm. And I think a theology of place uh, does, as, as Will described so beautifully, a great job of stabilizing um, a community where you know um, the leadership foundation is going to be there in good times and bad times. Um, I mean, I oftentimes liken it, Rick, to I think what leadership foundations do, and this might be pushing you know, the envelope a little bit, but when a leadership foundation says yes to a city, uh, it's analogous to when, um, you know, uh, people get married and you take those vows mm-hmm. um, and you begin to go through the, you know, the old vows of, you know, for better or for worse, you know, for richer or for poorer, for sick or in health. Um, that's the theology of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what a leadership foundation does to the city. It marries the city. It says yes, regardless uh, of what uh, what might come around the pike. Well, I think that's th- that is a, a a great great picture and and a blessing. And it reminded me of a friend of mine who said that he was out camping and uh, he saw a shadow and he thought it was you know like a wild animal. You know, he was going to get him. Mm-hmm. And of course, he he looked over and he realized it was just a a, a tree. You know, that had kind of the shape of, of a wild animal and so then when he saw the tree he was like oh, okay I get it you know and, and I think that a lot of times we uh, we look at shadows in the city mm-hmm. and we come up with the scariest possible scenario mm-hmm. and then when we really really face it we find out wow that's not what it is at all mm-hmm. and uh, it's people mm-hmm. you know and in and, and they're uh, people that are incredible friends and uh, you know and demonstrate faithfulness and and uh, think in a, in a way the theology of place um makes geography matter but then at the same time it it passes you know through that to the people that live on that geography whoever they are so it's yeah. great yeah it's 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 i mean we there will be a number of different you know values that we'll we'll talk about in leadership foundations and we try to highlight them in the book but um, a distinguishing mark of leadership foundations, I would say, um, I would actually even go farther than say, I might even argue, uh, has been this idea of a theology of place. Um, going back to Sam Shoemaker, and then ultimately what was transferred to Reed, you know, his challenge was um, commit your life to this city and commit your life to one another for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, whew. Yeah, I mean that. You know, that's uh, that only have changes one of those. things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And yeah. you just you just do it. And um, and again, to think about seventy four cities throughout the world that are having women and men um, do exactly what Sam challenged Reed to do uh, those many years ago. Commit your life 
to this city for the rest of your life and to one another and change will happen and, and we've seen that and if you're going to uh you know understand the city as a playground this is a huge component in it is the theology of place so absolutely oh good podcast yeah glad wonderful. i was here yeah <laughs>